you may ask. How did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello everyone and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Jim Jacobson with NRM Streamcast and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com and of course I will answer as many as I can. Still getting ready? A couple weeks from now we'll be in those new beautiful studios but right now we're in, I guess they call it Studio B and I like the look. I feel like I'm floating. And that's what it looks like. I think that's pretty cool. And I could actually get used to it. I hope you can get used to it. You know, the weather, I was going to say, I wrote myself notes. I always like to have an idea what to say. Figured it's going to be freezing cold today. The weather is gorgeous. We are at the end of October. And I still do not need, I still do not need a jacket when I'm walking outside. It's beautiful, which is really perfect timing. We'll talk about it uh, in our next show. We'll have a big weekend coming up. We'll talk all about it. But right now, let's get into this week's Torah portion. So this week's Torah portion is called Chaye Sarah. Literally, the life of Sarah. Um, interesting, a, a dear friend of mine, a, uh, a colleague. So one of his children um, waited nine years to have children, just had a little girl. And they gave her the name of this week's Torah portion. They, her name is Chaya Sara, which a little bit play on words because it's spelled different than the Torah portion. Uh, we won't get into all the spelling, but it's a very beautiful thing. We're very happy for him. But what's fascinating about this Torah portion is just the direction everything takes. We're going to start with the death of Sarah, of Abraham's wife, Sarah. She passed away. She dies in this week's Torah portion. The beginning of the Torah portion, we have to find a place to bury her. That's the whole talk. We'll get into it. But what's fascinating is from there, the Torah goes into marriage. So it's, we're going to get into the marriage. Isaac has to get married. The Abraham's servant, Eliezer, is going to look for a wife. So we go from death to marriage I ah, people like to go the circle of life, but that is really what's happening in this Torah portion. It is fascinating that in one Torah portion we're going to have just from one end of life, it's a little bit backwards, right? It's not from when someone's being born to when somebody dies, but it's when somebody dies and then somebody getting married. So let's first talk. I want to just to touch on some of these things quickly. I think the next show we're going we're gonna to dig much deeper into some of the stuff. But let's talk about death, or not so much death, but more about burial. But they probably go hand in hand. And uh, the Torah makes a big deal about Abraham looking for a burial place for Sarah. He doesn't own any land. I guess no land appropriate for a cemetery. But really, more than that, Abraham wants a specific burial spot. We had um, last week, so the angels come to visit Abraham, and he's going to, to get the meat for them, and it seems he chased a cow, and it leads him to a cave, and he somehow knows that that cave, called the Ma'ar Samach exists in Israel today, 
That's where Abraham and Sarah are buried, and Isaac and Rebekah are buried, and Jacob and Leah are buried, and by the way, um, Adam and Eve, Adam and Chava are buried there. He somehow understood that that was a special place to be buried. That's, he knows that's where he should be buried, and he wants to bury Sarah there. It must be the world did not know that Adam and Chava were buried there, because if they would have known, there is no way that the first man, first lady, are buried somewhere, and you're just selling that burial site. I mean, that is prime property and a tourist attraction, and you can make a lot of money selling trinkets over there. But even besides that, um, there's no way that uh, anybody would let somebody else be buried there. So it must be Noah new and interesting enough, when the Torah ever mentions who's buried there, they never mention that Adm and Chav are there because uh, they didn't want the world to know. That has to be the way it is. So it is important. Abraham must, must have a place to bury Sarah. He had not arranged anything beforehand. I'm sure it was planned that way. Happens to be Sarah knew that's where she was supposed to be buried. So she has actually traveled from where they used to live in the, in the Polishti area by Avimelech. Now they're in whatever, in, um, in Gerar. Now they've moved to Hebron, or she has at least. And Abraham comes back from the binding of Isaac, from Akedis Yitzchak. He comes back, he finds Sarah has died, and now he needs to bury her. So first he makes a whole, like, eulogy. They have a whole, um, the whole town gets together. First he eulogizes Sarah, and then he says, okay, guys, I, I need a place to bury my wife. So, of course, the children of Ches say, oh, Abraham, wherever you want. So Abraham says, great, let me speak to Ephraim. And we get into big talker, Ephraim promises, yeah, you can have it for free, it's yours, take it, you know, it's my honor, my pleasure. And Abraham sees that uh, this is not the way to do it. He goes off with Ephraim in a uh, side room, and they, there they hammer out the deal. So the deal goes from free to 400 big silver coins, which I've seen uh, today's valuation is about $2 million. So, so much for free. And Abraham buries Sari in that place. But the Torah makes a big deal about burial. Very big deal. Interesting, um, we had the beginning in Bereshis when Cain, Cain kills Abel, kills Hevel, he also buries him. Because uh, Torah comes, God comes to Cain and says, where's your brother? And he says, am I supposed to look out for my brother? So there's a whole question what the story was over there. Like, what, do you think God doesn't know that you killed him? But it must, some say that Cain was asking, that God was asking, Cain was asking Cain, where'd you bury him? Because he knew he buried him, so Cain thought he could answer. Cain thought he was being asked, where's he buried? <laughs> I have to tell you where he's buried? I buried him. I don't know what happened afterwards. And I was in that way in the story, there's a little miscommunication, which is fine. So the Medrash says uh, after Cain killed heavily, he didn't know what he was supposed to do with the body, and then he saw a bird, and the and the, a bird died, and another bird went and covered it with twigs, so he understood the concept of burial. So we have a few places already early on this concept of the importance of burial, and Jewish burial is a very, very big deal. We do not, forget we don't like, we forget we discourage, we do not cremate. I know nowadays it became a thing, people want to cremate, and it's cheaper, and they say it's better for the environment. Or oh, it could be true. It is cheaper. It could be it is better for the environment. But it's irrelevant. We do not 
cremate our bodies. First of all, just as a, as a, as a first blush, the Nazis were busy cremating millions of Jews. So we are not the Nazis. We are not doing that to relatives. We do not cremate. You can't afford it. It happens to be that there is, I would say in every city, I can't guarantee every city, but even if every city doesn't, there are certainly organizations on the East Coast that if someone, if, there's a, if they find out that someone's going to be cremated, if family members contact them, then they go right away and they, and they make sure that uh, the body gets a proper burial. I've told you this story multiple times, but it's such a good story that I repeat it multiple times. That's my friend Eugene. I, I mean, I use the story to tell you other things, but I walked into my mechanic, say, Eugene, you don't look so happy today. This story must be a good seven, eight years at least, I'm trying to think, because it was when he was fixing, it was right when he was fixing one of my vans, which are long gone, and that's, yeah, at least seven, eight years ago. I said, Eugene, you seem to be troubled. What's bothering you? What's the matter, Eugene? So he says, I have a friend in Florida, and he passed away, and he's in the, in the morgue, and I'm the, uh, in, the, in his will, I'm responsible to take care of him. He has family, but the family has nothing to do with him. So I'm the only one that is responsible for him. So I called the morgue, and the morgue told me if I want to bury him, it costs $12,000. If I don't come down with the money, they are cremating him. And I know it's bad, but what should I do? I don't have $12,000. So he told me, I said, Eugene, give me a few minutes. And I actually told him, give me an hour. And I went, called some friends, and they told me that the, the funeral, the, the, um, let's go the chesed, but the, the funeral home takes care of it. If someone who doesn't have funds, they have a, a, like a charitable fund. They told me, you get this Eugene to call us. If he gets the body up here, that we don't pay for. He has to get the body up here. He gets the body up here. We will bury, no questions asked. And not only did they bury this person, there was actually a regular funeral. There was a rabbi that was there. He brought a quorum of people, a minion, very beautiful. And my buddy Eugene still takes care of me. He appreciates. Look, I didn't do anything, right? I just made the connection, right? Sometimes that's what it's all about. You know people, you help people. But I tell my class all the time also, I said, I got an opportunity to make sure somebody was buried. We call that mace mitzvah. You take care of a dead body that no one is taking care of. When do I get a chance to do that mitzvah? It's just not something I normally deal with. But because I was friendly, because I asked somebody and said, what's the matter? So look what happened. I got an opportunity, and I took that opportunity and I talk about it. But in any case, it is very, very important. We do not cremate. So once we're not cremating, so there's a lot of rules and regulations of, of, of how we take care of the person who died. See, let's, let's take a step back. If a person, and we're going to talk about it in a couple of shows from now, if you don't believe in the afterlife, if you don't believe a person has a soul... So then you're right, when, when this life is over, so life is over. Whatever was the person beforehand, whatever that was is gone. So if there's nothing afterwards, you're right, so, so make it into ashes. Save money, it's good for the environment. That's if you believe that, there, that a person doesn't have a soul, there's nothing happening afterwards. But if you believe there's a soul, so now we have to relook at the picture. So the soul has separated from the body. 
And when the soul first separates, it's very confused because it's used to living in a body. It's not ready to go straight up to heaven. It doesn't work that way. It's a process. Well, the first part of the process is it's going to focus on what it's comfortable with, and it's comfortable with its body. So the soul, when it gets whatever back together, when it figures out what's going on, it focuses on the body. So how are people taking care of its old home? Are you going to embarrass the soul and treat the body with disrespect? Or are you going to be as respectful as possible? Are you going to bury the person immediately or as quickly as you could? Because, again, that shows respect. Or are you just going to leave it and turn it into a popsicle stick? Like, what, what are you going to do? Right? The soul is watching what's going on. And when you eulogize, are you saying things that are nice about the person? Or are you saying terrible things about the person? Because you think it's funny. I've been by many funerals. And, and I cringe when people just say things that are not nice. I was by somebody, I don't think it was a billionaire, but certainly six or seven hundred million in the bank, very charitable person, very charitable person. It must have been 2,000 people by this funeral. And the daughter gets up, I was embarrassed. I was, I was simply embarrassed. She gets up, my father, if you would ask him for charity, he wouldn't give you anything. That's embarrassing. If he didn't give, he was charitable, by the way. Maybe not to smaller organizations, but he was charitable. But how could you say those words? If you believe that your father is listening to the conversation, I don't see how it's possible to say that. It's embarrassing. But people don't realize. I had another funeral, and a lady was up there and talked about Friday nights. They would get together, and they would sing, and she thinks he would appreciate... um, playing one of the songs they used to play. So if you play a symphony, classical, I get that. I get that. I don't think it's appropriate, but at least not embarrassing. But instead, and I knew what was going to happen. You know, sometimes you just know. And the lady gets up, she hits the, rec- the play button, and they're playing drunken bar songs. That's embarrassing. It's just the wrong time and place. So it is important how much we respect the person who dies. And part of respect is not cremating. And by the way, uh, people imagine, because they haven't been there and they don't come back and tell us, but people imagine that the, when the body is dead, right? We talk about dead skin, right? So the body doesn't feel dead skin when you do something to it. But by the case of somebody who dies, when the person is dead, the body does feel. So you're going to burn that body. The body actually, the soul feels his body being burnt. That is terrible. And if you understood that that's what was happening, you could never do that to a relative. Okay, so again, so there's, that's part one of the Torah portion. It's about kindness, right? The importance of kindness. So there's, there is kindness to a person who has died. We've also talked in the past that the kindness one does for the dead is the ultimate, it's called true kindness. Because most of us, if I do you a favor, and I've talked about this story also in the past, if I do you a favor, I expect you to reciprocate. I expect that if I do you a favor, not exactly, and that doesn't have to be tit for tat, I'm not, I mean, some people, politicians actually have a little black book, right? They keep track. I did you this favor, I'm just writing it down here, I want you to know I have a record that I did you this favor, so I expect that you're gonna do the same favor, or when I ask you for something, I expect to be paid back. It's okay, there is that kind of, 
of uh, of uh, reciprocity, I think is the right word, right? There's such a thing. But but it's normal. So I've told you this story a hundred times. Um, when I was in post, I was married, still studying Talmud with friends, so we didn't have money. We were all poor. So when people moved from one apartment to another, at least in my days, so you rent a truck, get a bunch of guys, get all the furniture in, get a couple stuff in, the beds, and you drive it to the new apartment, unload, it takes a couple hours. So I always rented a truck. I always drove. I gave a couple hours of my time. And then finally, four or five years later, it was my turn. So I went around all my friends and I said, hey guys, um, I'm moving on Sunday, I'm getting a truck. If you could help out, it would be great. And I was, I was so disappointed that not one of my friends offered. All the guys that I helped move all of a sudden are too busy for me. Which is sad, but that's what happens. You do favors, of course you expect to get paid back. But know that you could be disappointed because usually, not fair to say usually, but many times you're uh, disappointed. I was disappointed, but so goes life. But when you do kindness for the dead, you know they're not paying you back. When you know they're not paying you back, that kind of kindness is the ultimate. So that's the kindness to the death to the dead. And then we get into the next part of the Torah portion which we'll just at least explain because we want to we wanna just wrap it all up. And that is when Eliezer, the servant of Abraham, is looking for a wife for Isaac, she must be a kind person because kindness is what Abraham's house is all about. And not just a kindness where I could be nice to you, but where it's, it's part of who and what you are. It's got to be that kind of kindness. So what does he do? He shows up at the well, Eliezer, and he says, the girl that comes out, and I ask her for water. And she offers me water. And not only does she offer me water, she offers my camel's water. So you see intrinsically that she is the kind of person that must do kindness. That's the girl that can marry my master's son. Everything else will fix. Idol worship, other things, that Abraham will fix. But she must be a kind person. If she's a kind person, then she's good to go. And it's kindness not only to people, but interesting enough, the kindness is to animals. Because it's not, we believe in all kinds of kindness. And we are ready to wrap it up. So I will not get into that kind of kindness. But I will tell you, the music is playing. I hope you enjoyed it really short and sweet this week. Of course, we have to thank all, for all our wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank the production team on the other side of the table. As we like to say now, we have David and Andy there. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Tweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it.